Spags, round one of the NFL draft is in the books, and we have plenty to discuss on the fantasy fallout front. Yeah, we are going to go pick by pick today, discussing which of these players we think landed in the perfect spot. I can see the chat already talking about some of my personal bags, Pete, but let me give you a chance first, because I think we might uh, have gotten some things right in terms of our pre-draft analysis, picking where we wanted guys to go. I think, too, some things perhaps didn't work out the way we wanted. I will point out Tyler Algier getting completely screwed by Bijan Robinson going in the eighth pick, but I think, honestly, screwing both guys over. But I'll give you the floor first. What things you think you got right? What things you think you got wrong? What were you surprised by? Um, yeah, like I was right about some things in that I thought more than uh, three and a half wide receivers would go. That was the uh, the line. Although I was wrong, and I thought one of the teams like the Texans, the Packers, or the Patriots would take JSN earlier. And the Patriots, what, ended up passing on him twice. So he slides all the way to the Seahawks. So I thought um, the NFL would value JSN a little higher than they did. So I got that wrong. I was correct um, in the Will Levis stuff all being smokescreen and that C.J. Stroud was still going to go ahead of him. Um, pretty big fall here for Will Levis, because I think even most people thought, hey, even if he doesn't go top five, like some team's going to trade up, you know, the Titans come get him at like 12 or something. So um, those were just a couple of ones there. Um, and then some things just completely out of left field, right? I mean, the Jameer Gibbs pick, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Yeah, the Jameer Gibbs one, certainly uh, Dan Campbell, and I guess overall the Lions organization being raked over the coals for that one, but still a really good landing spot for Jameer Gibbs. So that's the kind of thing we're going to try to parse out today. Uh, did you see some of the Will Levis rumors, by the way, that like, I guess there's a lot of reasons that perhaps he fell. Teams apparently thought he was arrogant in the meetings. I think Todd McShay said uh, also, you know, the banana and, and mayo and coffee stuff probably didn't help. But in general, it feels like teams just didn't like him <laughs> like as a person. And I didn't like him data wise, so I'm OK with that. But it does feel like there's some hurdles to overcome. And maybe just like a QB desperate team like the Rams ends up taking them instead. Yeah, I mean, the I think the whole how we thought about him, I mean, there was so much misinformation. He was kind of getting boosted up, too, by the S2 score stuff. I think people seem to like him a little bit more than that. People viewed him as a project. But, yeah, it's it's so interesting, though, how the NFL kind of, like, picks and chooses, like, when a character flaw is a reason to move a guy down the board and when they're, you know, decide not to. But maybe it was like you were saying, like, the data wasn't great on him. And then if you combine that with him being cocky or not having the attitude or character that these teams want, then they're like, well, why are we going to deal with this? Like, we'll deal with a project if a guy has a, what, quote unquote, learning mindset or whatever. But they're like, screw this. <laughs> if he has flaws and he's an asshole. Yeah, definitely seems like that could be the case for Will Levis, but he's going to go in the second round, I think. I can't imagine him falling more than that, which with the fiscal tools that he has and all of that. But let's pull up the screen share here and let's go pick by pick because I do think uh, we need to hit on all these guys that are at least fantasy relevant. Obviously, Pete and I are uh, loosely aware of defenders and their value, like Will Anderson, great pick to trade up for. Jalen Carter seems like a nice value going to the Eagles. Pete, we don't care about that, though, so we'll focus on the offensive guys. Let's start with Bryce Young. He's the short guy going to the Panthers. It's been linked to them pretty much, not from day one, but I guess at least the last two weeks if not three seems like the markets have really much wide locked in on Bryce Young being that guy I don't hate the spot for him I do kind of think he's more of a, a gatekeeper QB like a guy who's just going to kind of keep the ship running keep things moving I guess a game manager if you want to use that language but I think this defense is really the thing for the Panthers so I don't love this landing spot for Bryce Young I think he's got the weapons I just don't think he's going to do a lot like I feel like there's going to be a lot of 190 passing yards 30 rushing yards kind of days for him and fantasy wise like I don't think he's the number one fantasy pick for sure. Yeah, I 
I mean, I'm with you. I agree that I'm not excited about him in fantasy, although I don't think he has good weapons. Like, that's why I am not excited about it. I mean, both Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, um, you know, I was hoping the Texans would use a top pick on a wide receiver, and then you start to maybe get a little excited about some early fantasy potential. But, I mean, there are just average, you know, replacement-level wide receivers in the Panthers. Like, there's no one who is going to really be a, a massive target earner or create and make the life easier for a quarterback. And so I think it's going to be rough sledding. I mean, the way Bryce Young gets there is what he runs way more than we think. And he gets in a bunch of shootouts in a bad division. Like that's maybe how he gets there. But yeah, I mean, when I think about BBM opening up, he feels like 16th, 17th round, like quarterback pick. He doesn't seem like someone you're really going out of your way as even like a two QB build type of thing. Yeah, I don't hate the weapons as much as you do because I do think, I mean, on one of the stream drafts we did, I drafted C.J. Stroud back when he was rumored to be possibly one of the Panthers guys, and I think he's the kind of guy that could create value for an offense, especially where you have D.J. Chark out there going deep and you know being able to spread the ball downfield. Terrace Marshall, I think, flashed pretty well, one of the highest EPA receivers in the league. Obviously, a bit less volume than a true alpha receiver, but I think enough potential there that with the right QB, you can get there. But I just think Bryce Young, the thing that teams like about him is he's not going to make you mistakes. He's not going to kill you that much. He's not going to force the ball downfield like a C.J. Stroud does. So I'm just not that excited about him because I think the Panthers can be okay. Like I think they're kind of a potentially a 9-8 and eight team that maybe could sneak into the South and, and win that with it being a much weaker division. But I just think fantasy-wise, like we are talking about, I, he just doesn't have any of the archetype stuff. And we got now Stroud going high. We got Richardson going high. I would rather have those two guys by a pretty wide margin over Bryce Young. Yes, I'm with you on that. I think I'm, I feel similar about Stroud though, as I do to Young as far as like year one fantasy prospects, but Richardson is in a different tier. Not only did he get the best situation, we now have basically zero concerns about him not starting day one. I like the weapons there. I think it's just going to be a recipe for fantasy success. We have a head coach who I think knows how to utilize him and is going to think very creatively about it. And so I'm going to be fine aggressively drafting Anthony Richardson. I mean, where do you, where do you ballpark this right now? I mean, I, I think his ADP settles in like the 10th round, although who knows, maybe the enthusiasm will get so frothy that he's up in like the ninth or eighth, but 10th round feels about right to me for Richardson. In the most recent big board, I think he had, I had had him in my rankings as having a 144 ADP, I think. Um, hold on, let me just try to figure out where I have this here. Okay, so his most recent ADP and uh, not super flex in the regular big board was a 150.4. Mm. I had him ranked at 138 because I felt like that was his ceiling pre-draft. I think now that we know his location, now that we know he's going top five, now that we know the thing that I've loved for Anthony Richardson the most, and let's just skip to him and let me pull him up the screen. Like, I think he should go, where's the pocket that he goes ahead of? I think would be the question, but I think he goes top 100. I think he should just based on the rushing potential, the fact that from day one, that's going to be there. And he has pass catchers like Michael Pittman's pretty good. Alec Pierce is kind of an archetypal guy that can get downfield and be big. I know I've made the joke about the white AJ Brown, but if he gets used with that same route tree, he's going to put up some stats. He's not going to put up AJ Brown stats, but he'll put up some kind of similar version of that. So I think Richardson's a top 100 pick and I would have no issue doing that. And honestly, first six rounds, you could talk me into just based on what I view his potential as. Yeah, I'm looking at like the quarterback. So there's the tier where Dak, um, Daniel Jones, and Tua go. I think Richardson is now firmly in that next tier with Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, and Geno. Like if you want to put Richardson ahead of those guys or in that same cohort, I'm I'm not going to take Richardson ahead of Tua. Um, obviously, if I'm taking yeah. Tua, I probably have an early Dolphin. But yeah, to me, that's about where he slides in, which is what? 
it's like at, directly on the QB one fringe, like QB 11, QB 12, like, and we obviously know he has upside to really outperform that draft cost too. Yeah, I think you're right. It seems like two of most recently had a 95 ADP in the regular big board. I think 95 to 100 feels pretty good for Richardson. And, you know, some draft rooms, I think you might see him actually go. Honestly, the market, I think, will put him ahead of Tua, if I had to guess. I think he goes ahead of Tua. I think with how much people don't like Dak, I could see him going ahead of Dak, which would then put him in the top 85 range. Yeah, and it, I do think his ADP, similar to what we've seen with Trey Lance and even Jalen Hurts in years before, like if these guys start catching steam, like once we start to get the positive training camp reports that Anthony Richardson is making strides as a thrower, his accuracy is improving, like drafters will incrementally push him up because that's going to ultimately be the only thing holding him back is people being like, what if he just absolutely sucks? What if he goes the way of Trey Lance? That'll give people a little pause. But if you eliminated those concerns, he would be going right in the Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence reign, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree. And I guess, would we agree that this was the perfect landing spot for him? Like, I can't think of another one. I love the coaching. Like, we talked about this a lot because I think this is the one that I'd really locked in on saying this is for sure going to happen. And I was happy to see it actually happen. But, like, this is platonically a guy who coached up Jalen Hurts. And that's what Shane Steichen is. Like, he is the guy that coached up Jalen Hurts, was his main guy. Uh, Sirianni's going to get some of the credit, too, and he probably should get some. But I think this is, like, the most pure spot for Anthony Richardson to reach that pure, that Thanos potential he has of being this guy who can have all the Infinity Stones and dominate. And I think this is like, this is my favorite draft pick, I think, in any draft in the last five years. And I've really been like paying attention on a professional level. I hate to unilaterally agree with you, but yeah, I, I can't think of a better spot he could have gone. You could have come up with better teams, maybe better schemes, but then there would have been zero guarantee that he would start or, you know, that he was going to redshirt. So to go to a place where we know he's going to start has basically no competition. You know, Gardner Minshew, like if Gardner Minshew is beating this guy out, um, then like we are in Trey Lance territory. We're in like Sam Bradford beating out Trey Lance territory. Like it's just done <laughs> at that point. So I'm not too worried um, on that front. And like you said, the coach, the the offense everything about it is you can't come up with a better team for him to have landed at yeah so i think your richardson stacks are going to be looking good richardson with taylor i would have no issue with this well because we saw last year again hertz and sanders both having tremendous touchdown outputs and i think there's going to be a lot of those same fundamentals that are carry over so richardson i know people want to bitch about the accuracy and all that this guy can run the ball like a 38 percent avoided tackle rate at his size as a qb it's just not something you see very often so uh the chat's saying it but i would say it too when bbm4 opens tomorrow which we're all very excited about people be doing a stream with Karain. uh watch that but like you guys better be drafting Richardson. Everybody better be right now because there's no way the ADP is going to get lower from here. No, it's it's not. There's going to be no debt unless like, yeah, there's an injury or they yeah. just say he's so far behind and Gardner Minshew's the locked and loaded. Honestly, maybe I kind of want that. Just can we get some maybe like cheap Richardson shares at some point? Because what? The worst case scenario for Richardson is like, a Mariota Ritter light situation where Minshew plays six games and then they turn it over. Like I just, that seems unlikely, but that also seems like the worst case scenario. And even then I'd be happy to tack on Anthony Richardson as like a 13th, 14th round pick as a, a backup with massive, massive upside. Yep, I'm with you. So let's talk CJ Shroud because I think he's the guy that's gotten certainly the most uh, fudded over the last week or so with the S2 things that Pete's talked a lot about and everybody, of course, on Twitter's talked even more about. Um, he's also, I think, rebutted the claims, basically like saying he's not that smart. He's like, I'm not a, I'm not a test taker. I'm a quarterback, <laughs> which, okay. Um, I think nothing he shows in the field, though. Like, this isn't really a Jameis Winston kind of thing where I think Jameis got similar knocks for not being smart enough to be a QB. And, you know, whatever his career has been, like, I don't think that was the main issue there. But Shroud is just so good at 
everything I look at in terms of the advanced analytics numbers. Sports Evil Solutions EPA numbers have him being the best QB at every possible range where it's like short throws, he's the best. Mid-range throws, he's the best. Deep throws, he's the best. Doesn't run a lot, but can run, I think, in a Joe Burrowy kind of way is the comp I've seen the most and the one that I see personally. So I like the, sp the spot for Stroud, too. Like, I think right away he's going to gravitate towards John Mechie. I love that stack. Um, and Houston weapons aren't great. We'll see what they get in the draft here. Hopefully they can pick up maybe like a Tillman or somebody later, or I guess a Marvin Mims would be pretty exciting. Uh, but if this stack has any bodies in it at all, like I just think Stroud's going to create value. It's like this is actually a pretty good Stroud landing spot, even though that defense being improved, maybe he's not going to have to sling it quite as much. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. I just don't have a lot to get excited about. I'm looking at like the court here. Let me give you one. Do you prefer Jordan Love or Stroud? Um, I prefer Stroud. Really? Uh, Stafford or Stroud? Stroud. Uh, Kyler Murray or Stroud? Definitely Stroud. Okay. Wow. You're way higher than me. How about Derek Carr or Stroud? car i think just because okay. i like the weapons more and, and all right so i found like your point i think i'm like four to five spots lower than you on him like i would put him in the kenny pickett jimmy garoppolo mac jones tier for me as far as where i think he should go and what you could realistically expect i mean spags like the playmakers he has are it's one of the worst wide receiver rooms in the entire mm -hmm. league we're looking at robert woods nico collins you mentioned mechie i'm hopeful that he bounces back but man I, there's not a lot of guys that are going to help him out a lot and this is a guy who just came from playing with like three of the best wide receivers uh college prospects of all time like there's going to be a steep steep drop in the kind of help he has on the field so I think what's going to happen, and this is you know me again reading the tea leaves, because I, I talked about this a lot like earlier in the, the offseason. I think coaching hires are really the thing that fantasy tends to miss the most. And this team, you know, the Texans basically brought over the Niners staff. They have D'Amico Ryans as the head coach. So that's going to help the defense. But also the passing game coordinator for the Niners is also, I think, their offensive coordinator now. And they've hired a couple of other underling coaches as well. But I think what this is going to be is C.J. Stroud is going to play like Brock Purdy did down the end of last year, where they were letting him take those deep shots, letting him kind of do that stuff. But then, you know, he's game managing in between that. I think that's what Shroud is going to be in this offense. And I agree the weapons aren't great, but I think he's just a guy where he's you know throwing deep balls 13% of the time, which is a pretty high mark in the class, and crushing out of that with a 0.93 EPA. He doesn't get sacked a lot. Like He does all the things you're supposed to do to keep plays alive. So I think that alone is going to make the receivers look better. Um, and I would say Shroud to me, like I get you ranking him where you would with those guys, where it's kind of like, show me it, and then you can go up a little bit next year. But I think if you get ahead of the curve and you take him ahead of like Mac Jones, Stroud could be really good just because of who he is as a player. Whereas Mac Jones is like, you need him to be a better player. You need that coaching staff to be improved enough to make him better as well for fantasy. I don't think that's going to happen. Whereas Stroud, I think it's like, they're going to play from behind a lot. Like that's just going to be the case. Yeah. And I think like two things can be true. Like Stroud can be a good quarterback. He can, you know, help this team and yet still not be very exciting for fantasy. And in this can even be true. This comment from Dustin, who says, call me crazy, but I think Woods will be a target monster for Stroud. That could also be very true, but like Robert Woods is not leading us to explosive plays. He's not leading us to chunk, you know, fantasy stuff. You, you're going to get, you know, PPR death by a thousand cuts. Maybe that's great for Robert Woods. I don't think that's great for CJ Stroud's fantasy value, right? We want to see quarterbacks running. We want to see a lot of points scored. We want to see deep passes to explosive wide receivers speeding up games. I don't see any of that with this version of the Texans offense, who I think we have to be honest with ourselves, they're going to establish the hell out of it with both Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary. They're going to bring Stroud along slowly. And I just don't see a ton of fantasy goodness in this spot right now. I just think you look at Stroud's profile, like he's incredibly accurate coming in. I think he had 
because uh, he had an 81% catchable ball rate, according to SIS, which was just behind Jake Hayner, um, Hendon Hooker, who had kind of a gimmicky offense. But that's like, you know, one of the best marks in the class as well. And I think going to be up there with any of the rookies coming in the last few years as, uh, as well, too. So he's got the natural tools where I don't think you need to bring him along slowly. Um, they might play conservatively, but I think it's that Niners form of conservative where it's a use the run to set up the pass kind of things. So I believe a lot in Stroud. I get having the doubt. Um, I would still put, would you put him ahead of Bryce Young still though? Like if you're, are you on that page? Uh, no, because I think Bryce Young's just a better quarterback. So I would, I'm, I'll be drafting Bryce Young ahead of Stroud unless obviously I'm like, no, but I'm trying to think you would, you wouldn't even have any stacking that would force you to prioritize, right? All of your Stroud stacks are going to be backdoor stacks. Yeah. And super cheap, which I think is great. Yeah. Like you're getting a guy who's a pure passer with like weapons you can get in the 15th, 16th, 17th round. I mean, even Dalton Schultz is going there and he's going to be running a lot of routes at tight end. He's a viable tight end now. Like I think this is a pretty good outcome for him. I'm actually very happy with all the QBs landing spots because I think Bryce Young, even if I'm not a crazy believer in his upside, he got the best possible team. I think that's going to use him, you know, intelligently and keep him in a good spot. I know our guy Nick was was stumping for him being a smaller Mahomes, which I don't know if I see that, but still, but I think Stroud got a really good spot. Richardson got a good spot. And I think, you know, the Niners coaching tree is going to be good for Stroud. So I'm on board with him, even though it seems like Pete perhaps is not. Um, who else do we have in the top? I guess we've talked enough about Richardson, so we can skip him. Um, Bijan. So this is the one, Pete. I think this is a terrible situation. You should situation go full for screen. I, everyone needs to see your cope uh, in, in full screen here. So okay, fine. So here's my official statement on Bijan Robinson's uh, addition to the Falcons. I think it's a bad move for Bijan. I think it's a bad move for Tyler Algier. The thing that I think still makes Tyler Algier look good is he is now the lower back, the lower drafted back, who is pure leverage against this highly drafted back that is going to be in a timeshare. And Pete, I would say, and I'll, I'll bring you back on the screen for this one, I think the Falcons are going to run it 30 to 40 times a game. Like, I think that's what this is going to be. Or, you know, maybe short passes that kind of function as runs. I think there's room for both guys to get there, but I think people who've been drafting Bijan, and I, I've taken him too, but like taking him in the first round, this is a bad outcome because Tyler Algier was legitimately the best rookie back last year in terms of every advanced analytic and just dumb draft capital is how I feel about it too. So here's the, I do agree with you on one point that the Falcons are going to run the hell out of the ball. Um, I do not think Tyler Algier is any kind of impediment to Bijan Robinson's ceiling fantasy performance, like none. He they can run the ball 35 times. Algier can get 10 carries in the same way other backs were getting some supplementary carries in that offense. But Bijan is going to get all the work he can handle. And the thing that stucks for Algier, unlike even say Michael Carter last year with the Brees Hall situation, is we were at least telling ourselves a story. Hey, Michael Carter will stay on the field in passing situations. Maybe they prefer him. There is nothing that Algier does better than Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson is a much better passer catcher than him and so it's basically going to be him spelling Bijan when he needs a breather and can that still be a little fantasy relevant in an offense that's succeeding and, and running the ball a ton sure sure and I think he's going to have really nice contingent value as one of the best handcuffs in football but this is awful 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 news for Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson is going to immediately eclipse him spags and i need you to abandon this take like you needed to abandon the drew lock take because i don't want this to solely your good name you do a lot of good work but you can't have take lock with this tyler algier stuff it's not take lock it's that i think that he's going to be the caleb huntley last year where caleb huntley was coming in like 
I don't know how many touchdowns he scored offhand, but I think he scored five to 10 last year. Caleb Huntley did. Um, I'll pull that up. But like, I think that's what this offense is going to be is there's going to be three backs rotated in. I agree that Bijan gets the majority of the work. Like I'm not arguing that at all, but I think what it could be like, it's possible that Tyler Algier is a better goal line back. I also would push back on Tyler Algier, Algier being bad at pass catching too, because he actually was an outlier there. Um, just didn't get used as much because of Cordero, obviously. But I think like, I think there's room for these guys to get there. Uh, no, you know, I guess Huntley only had one touchdown. Is that right? <laughs> Felt like a lot more, didn't it? You're going to, Spags, for you to be correct about Algier, you're going to need Ritter to be really fucking good. You're going to need yep. this offense to, because if they if they really improve as an offense and are a little bit more dynamic, they keep, you know, offense or defense is guessing with, you know, actual talent with Kyle Pitts and Drake London. Like, yes, then if the, the, the piece of the pie here, even if it's a smaller slice, if the pie is big, maybe Algier can eat. But I'm just not convinced that this is going to be a really dynamic offense, even though they have the pieces to do so. I will just say formally, and I, I will continue drafting Tyler Algier. You will not stop me from where, drafting Tyler where, Algier. Where are you taking Where do you think he should be valued, and where would, would you be willing to take him? In terms of being a premium handcuff now for like a true bell cow back um, and a guy who I think will still get work regardless and be in the mix – he shouldn't go top 100. I think that is now a mistake. Um, he should go top 150, I think. I mean, maybe top 130. I mean, he's he's a 16th, 17th round pick. That's what that's what Tyler Algier is. No, oh, he should he shouldn't go that low because he's gonna get he's gonna he, get work. He, he okay. So I mean, Devin Singletary is going in the 15th, 16th round. You if you want to put him next to Devin Singletary, you can. Anything higher yeah. than that is crazy. I think I'm going through the the rankings now to see where I would put him in. Um, I mean, let's see where a chain goes. A chain had a 148.9 ADP. I no, think. do ve do veterans. It's too hard with rookies that don't have landing spots yet. M okay. Mostert slash Jeff Wilson, assuming they don't draft a rookie. I kind of think that's where Algiers should go. And that's the 150 ish spot. Um, I, I'm not going to call you a lunatic in that range because that's where you're looking at Gibson, Zeke, Kareem Hunt. I, I do prefer the Dolphins running backs to them because both the Dolphins running backs, again, barring what happens in day two, day three, those guys have a much more immediate path to a role. Um, to me, he's right in that Singletary, Jalen Warren, you know, range around pick 170. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the, the, the rankings a little bit more. Um, uh, you got Ty J Spears, Sean Tucker going, but we don't know where those guys are going to be. Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, I think Singletary is undervalued anyway. I think these guys all should be in the 150 range. Um, but I would still take Algier. Like the point being is that people are now going to completely not take him. I would buy the dip on that one, especially because it's a different tournament format we're going to have. And obviously a different tournament time capsule we're going to have. So I would take Algier in the one fifties. And, but in the beginning, like he's going to fall, he's going to be one of the biggest ADP fallers, I think from those first few days of the draft. Well, just naturally, right? Because yeah. his default ADP is going to be much, much higher, but I will be curious to see where people end up, you know, pulling the trigger on him. And the board, the running back board, the reason it, this exercise is actually kind of hard, right, is because so many of those picks from what? Running back picks from like 140 to 170? Like these next two days are going to determine that in a big way. We're going to have guys jumping way up, rookies. We're going to have veterans sliding way down. But I think when the dust settles, he's going to be, you know, a 15th, 16th round pick. 
Um, also, can they trade Algier to KC to pair with Pacheco? Yeah, that'd be a great way for Tyler Algier to recover the value. But yeah, I I think you're right. Mostly, like I'll give you guys that. I just think that there's still value in him as a handcuff and a guy who's going to get touches from day one still. Uh, but Bijan clearly going to be the bell cow back. And do you think Bijan's ADP should fall a little bit? Because I kind of feel like it should come down somewhat just knowing how Atlanta ran this running back room last year. I mean, so what, his ADP in the big board non-superflex was, uh, what was it at? He was at 13.3 in the, the last big board. Yeah, I think, to me, um, I'm I'm going CMC, JT, Eckler. I'm still taking Bijan ahead of Barkley. But yeah, if you want to put Bijan and Barkley like mid-second round picks, um, I'm, I'm good with, you know, pushing him back like two to three slots. But I don't think the market's going to do that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I would think that Bijan and Barkley, and I've certainly made the case against Barkley enough on this show, but I think both those guys should come down a little bit here and probably fall behind some of the receivers. The Garrett Wilson's a Monra's ADP is going to have to come up a little bit because of no Jamison Williams. Um, Jalen Waddle, I think, is still a bit undervalued. So, yeah, I would bump Bijan and, and Saquon back. Uh, we got to go to the next running back here. So this was the surprise of the draft that we talked about. Of course, some great defensive players and offensive linemen in this one. Jameer Gibbs, though, Pete, going to Detroit does seem like it portends the end of DeAndre Swift's time there. Uh, rumors, apparently, that he's already being auctioned off on the trade block. So we'll see if he goes somewhere good or yeah, it goes somewhere, I guess, kind of good. Like the Bucks, I think, is still a team that looking for a running back, too. But Jameer Gibbs, really nice landing spot going to Jared Goff, a guy who does love to check down, but is also not mobile enough to run for himself. Uh, we do know we have a big contract going David Montgomery's way, which feels a little bit odd because Montgomery was much better as a pass catcher than an actual runner last year. But it does seem like Gibbs will take that pass catching role, Pete. And I have no issue with it. Like, I think this is a nice pick for fantasy. Definitely a bad usage of draft capital for the Lions. But Gibbs is going to be a player from day one and going to be out there. And I have no issue with it, given that we're not going to have Swift anymore. And that's not an obstacle. No Jamal Williams. Like there's a lot to go around that running back room. Yeah, this is one of, I mean, this was the fantasy bombshell of the evening. Um, just an egregious, egregious use of draft capital to like, it, you know, I said this on ship chasing too. Like if you're going to do a luxury pick here, which no one can argue that Jameer Gibbs, you know, when you have Deandre Swift and just spend a lot on David Montgomery is anything but a luxury pick. Like how do you not spend that luxury pick on JSN or whoever your wide receiver of choice there, Quentin Johnson, anybody there um, to help continue to boost that offense. This was an insane pick. I do really think Dan Campbell has lost the thread of sanity here, but to your point, um, this draft capital is meaningful. Jameer Gibbs is a really good prospect. This is a super fun offense. The one part that gives me a little pause of not just going full blast off mode on Gibbs is like, we have literally seen this play out with Swift, a smaller back, super explosive, can catch passes. And Dan Campbell stubbornly doesn't want to overload him with touches. And so if you want to make the argument that Jameer Gibbs is better than DeAndre Swift and is going to be more efficient or more explosive, I will buy that argument. But do we really think David Montgomery is going away? Do we really think David Montgomery isn't going to get the goal line touches? You know, unlike a guy like Bijan or even Brees Hall last year, who I thought could ascend right away to be a bell cow back, I think they're going to see Jameer Gibbs as a specialty back. And I have a hard time envisioning him getting over 15 touches a game in year one. And again, he can still pay off in fantasy. He can still be very usable, but I do think we have to come into this with open eyes and knowing David Montgomery is going to have a role on this team and he's going to do things for them that they're not going to ask Gibbs to do. 
I think if anything, this kind of makes Montgomery even more solid with where he was going. And I was loving Montgomery in the drafts where he was still going behind DeAndre Swift. And I admit, I've never been a big DeAndre Swift guy. Like I saw the talent in the beginning, but I just kind of felt like the role wasn't necessarily matching up where the enthusiasm levels were in terms of drafting him. But I think that this is a really nice situation for Montgomery because he's now like there's Jameer Gibbs literally can't get those goal line touches. Like he can't get hand of the ball and be expected to do anything with it. Maybe they can get him out, you know, run some routes and whatever and catch passes in the red zone. But at the goal line, like he can't run those plays. So that's going to be all David Montgomery. And you could see David Montgomery put up like 20 touchdowns this year just because of the fact that like he's an actual sized human being and Gibbs is going to be way too tiny to make that kind of production. Well, this is why this is so sick, right? Can't you just see it right now? Gibbs breaking off a 60-yard run, getting tackled uh, by his shoelaces at the two-yard line, and David Montgomery coming in and just doing the Jamal Williams thing and having, like, 13 touchdowns because he just, like, woke up at the one-yard line. Like, I do really feel like we're going to see the exact same movie as we did last year, except David Montgomery, uh, and, you know, this takes a lot for me to admit, has a little bit more to his profile than Jamal Williams can do a little bit more, and Gibbs is, like, a souped-up version of DeAndre Swift. So it's like... I feel like we're going to see, you know, just Fast and Furious 2. It's just like the same bullshit, just like slightly more sparkly and exciting with more special effects. And I would tune in to watch it just like I would with Fast and the Furious. Uh, Bullock saying eight to nine carries and five to six targets per game for Gibbs. Demont smashing his face through the A-gap the rest of the time. I think it's more like five to seven carries and then five to seven targets would be my thought. But I think these like he's probably a 10 touch back. It's just going to be you know, you're either hitting a home run or you are getting one PPR point and him maybe, you know, falling down, maybe breaking one tackle and falling down. So here's the question. Where do you think his ADP settled? Because we were drafting him, you know, late fifth. Sometimes he would slip to the early sixth. And this situation, it's weird, right? Because the pros are you have draft capital and you have an offense that should be pretty good for fantasy. You know, we got the Coors Field of the NFL here at Ford Field. Lots of shootouts, lots of checkdowns probably from Jared Goff. On the other hand, you have DeAndre Swift, who's still there. I know he might get traded, but he is still there. And you have David Montgomery and a coach who has historically never liked to saddle up a back like this with a lot of touches. So do you think his ADP just stays fixed where it was pre thereafter? Do you see it moving up or down? I think because of the enthusiasm for him. And I think the way that casual players will perceive it, where it's like, oh, he's the rookie coming in. They're going to treat him like a bell cow back. Like, I think that's going to keep him closer. He had a 60 ADP in the most recent big board. Uh, Montgomery had an 84.2. I think that should, I mean, it feels a little bit high for Montgomery, but it should almost be flipped. Like, I think Gibbs should be the lower one because um, he's going to have some spike weeks for sure. But Montgomery week to week, it's hard for me to see Montgomery not being a 20 touchback. And I don't think there's any chance that Gibbs could even come close to that. Yeah. And again, a lot of this will get reshuffled, but, you know, Gibbs was going in a clear tier ahead of that kind of like muddied seventh and eighth round range that had Javante Williams, Joe Mixon, uh, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins. And so in my heart of hearts, I feel like he should probably be a part of that tier. But man, when you look at the draft capital in this offense, I might, and this is why my mind is in such a blender about this, because this pick tilts me so much and I think it was so bad. And yet I think about guys who can fucking win you weeks in the fantasy playoffs. And it, Jameer Gibbs is that guy. Jameer Gibbs has that profile. And I will... 
I will be at the very least, I will be matching the field on Gibbs regardless of where his ADP settles, unless it's like outrageous in like the third round or something. Yeah, I'd love to see him be cheaper, but I agree. I think you got to get your shares of Gibbs because he's in an offense that should be improved in a division that's going to be worse as well. So lots of things working out in his favor. Uh, we are at the halfway point of the show, guys. So I do have to ask you guys to subscribe down below, hit the like button, leave a comment where they're watching live. Or after the fact, we appreciate you tuning in a bunch here, but we are on the march to 2K subs, trying to grow this channel as best we can with just Pete and I putting in that elbow grease every single week here every single show so we appreciate it but please subscribe to the channel hit the like button and if you're watching afterwards leave a comment down below uh pete let's keep going here let's talk about the 20 spot that is our next offensive player jsn goes to the seahawks interesting pick for him does feel like he kind of fits a role that the Seahawks don't have right now. Uh, Lockett, Metcalf, obviously stretching the field more. Guys that have been uh, certainly being taken or getting to take advantage of Geno, really forcing that ball downfield. But they haven't had a kind of slot check down guy who can uh, produce a little bit after the catch. So it's interesting. That said, it feels like he or Lockett has to move outside a little bit more. And I don't know that's going to be the best spot for either of them. So I don't love the fit, but he's the first receiver off the board. He's going to be out there. Um, and he was great in college. So I think he fits all the criteria of a guy I should like. I just wish Tyler Lockett weren't there personally. Yeah. So I, I think, I think I'm excited about this landing spot, not necessarily just in a vacuum, but what I think it's going to do to his price. And, you know, I've been lamenting recently that we're never going to get a Garrett Wilson situation again, where it's just like this guy who goes top 15 in the NFL draft, incredible prospect is going in the fucking 12th round of drafts. It was just absurd. And I was like, we're never going to get that again. We were drafting JSN in the early fifth before the big board. JSN is going to slide from that spot. People do not like this landing spot. They are going to naturally look at this offense. We're going to shrug at Geno Smith. We're going to say, hey, DK and Lockett are here. And we are going to get a very nice price on JSN. And unlike Gibbs, who I think I'll probably end up matching, I have a feeling I'm going to be way overweight JSN. I'm a JSN bull. I believe I would not be shocked. And maybe I'll just try this take on for size. I think he will, at least for the second half of the season, earn more targets per game than any other receiver in that offense. I think he is going to come into this league and crush. I think he's going to minimize Tyler Lockett's role. I think Tyler Lockett will still be used as a downfield threat, but I think JSN is a superstar. I think he's going to earn targets in due order, and I think he's going to be a fantasy monster, and I want as much of him as I can, and I think the market's going to give me a big discount because they're worried about this spot. Also, it looks like there's a potential out for Lockett next year. So something I was thinking about was maybe I thought Lockett's contract might be ending. I think for Dynasty, Ross is just saying in the chat like he's good for Dynasty and maybe a tough spot for best ball, even though you seem to be pretty bullish on that. I think this is a pretty good spot for them to get out of Lockett next year because they could save apparently a lot of money, um, take on some dead cap, but that seems like the out period. And then JSN will be right there. So Dynasty-wise, I think he pretty much should be locked into the same spot you would have had him pre-draft. But I agree. Like, I think he's a guy that's just a, a pure target earner. Like, he's going to certainly, I think, hurt Metcalf and Lockett a little bit just in terms of them not having the same volume you could expect. And I think Lockett especially. Like, Lockett's going to be – I just don't see you could play these guys both out of the slot and get them to have their full potential. So Lockett might have to move outside, and I just don't think that's a natural spot for him at his age and where he is in his career. Uh, but JSN, just so good at every metric, getting really good in short targets and creating value in those spots. So I'm with you. Like, JSN, I think, is going to be undervalued. I just worry that – this probably wasn't his platonic ideal spot. Like him with Stroud no. and on the Texans, I think would have been like his ideal spot. And again, if I, and the reason I'm excited about this is say the chargers took JSN. I mean, JSN's probably like a fourth round pick 
in best ball mania if that happens like he's probably going like around right where mike williams was going in in the dj Moore territory i really do think that was going to happen and now i think he's going to slide more to where say jalen waddle went as a rookie right where he's kind of like a ninth round pick eighth ninth round he's going to be in like that Kadarius tony range maybe even a little lower than that if the market gets really spooked by this and i am a big time buyer in that range Yep. And I think, you know, he's going to be in a team that, you know, Gino, for whatever the flaws may be that, you know, I think kind of showed in the back half of the season. Um, that is a team that is willing to throw, willing to pass a good amount, has a good running back as well. So the game kind of makes sense for them to get the ball downfield and give Smith and Jigba some chances to actually make plays. So uh, I think it's a good spot overall, but there are probably some better ones for him. Quentin Johnston is an interesting one because I did not see him linked with the Chargers anywhere. It seemed like they were linked a lot more to the Jalen Hyatt's the world, the speedsters in the draft that ended up going a little bit later. But this, Pete, we both have, I think, liked Johnson a little bit. You were more team Madison, and we can talk about him next. But Johnson is a guy I've been drafting a lot of in the hopes that he might land in a Buffalo or Kansas City and fall a little bit more. But I think a new Chargers offense where he's the lone, I mean, not the lone big bodied guy, but now like a logical compliment to Mike Williams on the outside and maybe a replacement for Mike Williams, I guess, in the future too. Uh, great landing spot for him. And I think he's going to reach his potential in here. And I really believe too, Kellen Moore running this offense is going to be a big improvement. So this is really a good spot for Johnson, even if I do think one of the other AFC teams, one of these stalwarts like the Bills and Chiefs would have been a better one for him. I would say of all the skill position players who went in the first round, we both agree that the Anthony Richardson to the Colts was just the perfect landing spot. I would say Johnston to the Chargers is the second best landing spot, just pure fit, team need, the quarterback situation. The comp I've had in my head, and I don't know if it was Pat who said this or Pat was referencing someone else saying this, but like a bigger version of Brandon Ayuk. And I think that's what we're going to get from him in this offense, right? Where he's never going to be the top target earner. You know, that's going to be Keenan when he's healthy. Mike Williams is still going to get his, but this guy who can do more with it after the catch and really be a monster in that way. Like Quentin Johnson is going to have some of those games where he only has four or five points, but he's going to pop off for a few 25 plus point games. And if those weeks come um, when they mean the most, that's going to be very, very valuable. So I like this landing spot a lot, and I think he perfectly fits what the Chargers need because you have Mike Williams, who truthfully is more used as just a downfield guy, Keenan over the middle. Now you get Quentin Johnston in the intermediary. I'm sure you can do some fucking fun shit with, uh, you know, end rounds and scheming touches for him. Just get him out in space, and teams aren't going to be able to fully account for him, you know, when you have those other, other wide receivers there on the field. So I think this is perfect. Yeah, the yards after catch is a big thing for Johnson. He had a 38% avoided tackle rate. So he and Richardson really stood out in those two metrics in terms of their positionality and just being able to really generate a lot of missed tackles off of that. Um, but a guy just yards after catch numbers, he was top in the class at receiver, 8.9 yards after catch. So he's going to create a lot of value. And I think too, I mean, obviously Mike Williams has had a high ceiling. Um, and, and we talked about Keenan Allen, like he's coming back. He's going to get a ton of targets, I'm sure still. Quentin Johnson might have the highest ceiling of all their receivers. Like obviously Eckler's still got the God tier ceiling if he's going to be on the team, but Johnson, I think might have a higher ceiling than Mike Williams, just because like you were saying, Pete, he can get three targets and turn those into two touchdowns just based on the avoided tackles. Yeah. I mean, I made my, my uh, dynasty video for fantasy life um, before the NFL draft. And one thing, you know, and I was looking at some of Dwayne's research and we were comping him to um, Mike Williams, but with yards after the catch ability, you know? So it's like, if he can be that, you know, I think Mike Williams has shown a little bit better. Um, and when you look at his downfield, like contested catch rate, the Quinton Johnson, he was actually a little weak in that, but it's like, you know, you have Mike Williams to do that. Get Quentin Johnston the ball um, in the intermediary and let him do stuff after the catch. Uh, I think it's just a perfect fit. And, you know, 
I was I was battling you about Addison and Johnston before the draft. I think I am coming around on flipping those two now with this landing spot because Addison is capped. This was kind of what we were talking about with JSN. Does he have a path to being the top target earner on a team? I think so on the Seahawks. If he went or where Jordan Addison went, neither of those guys are cucking Justin Jefferson. Like hmm. full stop, Justin Jefferson is the guy. You're always going to be a complimentary piece there. Where Quentin Johnson could emerge as the top alpha wide receiver in this offense. And so I think I am Johnston over Addison now with the landing spots baked in. And I think like you were kind of saying too, Dustin saying maybe Mike Williams could teach him how to high point a ball. Like that actually is a case where he's going to be learning from one of the best route runners in Keenan Allen, going to be learning from one of the best high point catchers in Mike Williams, best downfield guys. Like you got to think about that stuff too with this guy's growth. So dynasty wise, would you say dynasty wise that Johnston is the number one receiver in this class now? No, no, no. JSN by far still my number one, not even close. I think Johnston with this landing spot, like I think he's more likely to have value year two, year three, year four, and have a chance to be a real outlier. Whereas JSN, I agree, like he's going to come in, he's going to be seven to 10 targets, but he's going to be that guy forever. I still think there's a chance that, you know, Johnston could be more valuable long-term. So dynasty wise, I would plant that flag that I think you could have the number one receiver in this class just by the inertia of landing in the spot with the best young QB as well who's going to be there, you know, with him every day growing at the same rate. Um, Zay Flowers coming up next year. So he is the third receiver on, off the board, goes just ahead of Jordan Addison. Flowers Pete was a guy that I never loved. I just don't love the size and kind of not great competition in college, but he is a burner. He is landing on the Ravens. I think for him, this is kind of a bad spot. Like you have Bateman there, you have Odell, you have Andrews, you have Likely. You have a Lamar running a million times. Dobbins also, obviously, they're still going to want to run even with a new offense. I don't believe enough in Zay Flowers for him to overcome just what Baltimore is and what they already have. Um, so I'm not in love with this spot for him, Pete, but do you feel differently? Uh, no, I don't. But if I pull back, isn't this just Jahan Dotson all over again, where it's like he gets that first round draft capital. He wasn't our favorite prospect. You know, when you look in the analytics community, it seems like teams like this guy more than the numbers. He goes to a team where yes, there's opportunity, but we don't think of them as having a really explosive passing offense. We have a hard time seeing the ceiling. We know at best, he's probably the wide re or the third target earner behind Andrews and Bateman. And so it's hard to get excited. And yet, I think that will be baked into his ADP if he settles in the same range where Jahan Dotson was going last year in the 12th, 13th round. I'm probably a buyer at that price. Again, just blindly tailing the draft capital in the potential opportunity. As much as I love Rashad Bateman, um, there's a chance he just never stays healthy. There's a chance he never puts it all together. And Zay Flowers, you know, could you know emerge as the main wide receiver weapon there. And we did see room in that offense for guys like. Devin Duvernay to, to flash at times. And they were clearly always hunting for another wide receiver. So I do think there's room there. Um, we do get Lamar Jackson back in the fold. So um, I'm not doing cartwheels about this, but I have a feeling flowers is going to end up being a value in drafts. Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at it. And I, I think you're right about the Dotson comp. If we are just looking purely in a best ball level and I guess best ball combined with the NFL draft capital thing. Um, I have to kind of retrain my brain to draft Zay flowers because I would say where Zay Flowers is being drafted all throughout this process, Pete, I think that now that ADP looks bad. But I agree if he starts to come down, like in Best Ball Mania, you now can stack him up. I think he makes more sense. But I think if you drafted him in the big board or the big board Superflex, I just think that he went too high for what this landing spot is. Yeah, but I, I mean, I almost, I'm approaching it from the other it, you know, the draft capital, I think, means so much and gives you such like a, a safety net to where you're taking them. And I think we sometimes get a little too fancy trying to say, hey, we are going to outsmart 
the NFL draft capital because we don't like this guy as much. When Lamar Jackson, a team that, you know, we got AJ in the chat referencing the OC change as well, this regime, you know, drafting him. I don't know. I'm not, like I said, not doing cartwheels, but I'm not going to be bearish on Zay Flowers. I think this is neutral at worst. And I think the the market might double count this being a bad spot. Bullock asking, Zay also feels like he could be a spike week player with his big playability. Does have the second highest avoided tackle rate of the receivers in the class at 32%. So he wasn't a great target earner. So I don't expect him to have the value just because of the fact that like he was only getting 28% targets per route run at Boston College. So I don't expect that to go up in the NFL. But I think you could see five targets to him and he breaks one of those for a touchdown or you know two of them for a touchdown because he is that fast as well. Uh, but yeah, I think there's definitely spike week upside, but definitely not a player that I'm most excited about. But you are the Jordan Addison whisperer, even though he did go, of course, to my precious USC. I kind of soured on him early in the draft process just because the numbers weren't as good as they were at Pitt. And also the fact that, you know, a little bit smaller, bad athletic comps, all that stuff. But a pretty good landing spot for him, Pete, going to Minnesota, I guess, with Kirk Cousins' long-term future kind of uh, not seeming likely to be on the team past this year with the contract stuff. It does feel like they still need to solve that, obviously. But he's going to learn from another kind of undersized guy who's one of the best at the position in Justin Jefferson, uh, can vacate some targets there with Adam Thielen gone. And we saw K.J. Osborne have huge upside last year. So I think he's a good best ball player right now, Pete Jordan Addison is in this Vikings offense. And I don't mind him, but I do think that, like, obviously Justin Jefferson's number one and – it's going to be hard for him to really get a meaningful share. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see where his ADP settles. I think this is not a great landing spot just because there's no path to him being the top target earner. But like you said, we saw Osborne succeed down the field. I think Addison is much, much better than Osborne. We've also seen games where, you know, teams have so sold out now to shut down Justin Jefferson. And Addison is going to really be able to thrive, not to mention, you know, TJ Hawkinson's emergence too. So, I mean, Addison is not going to be the focus of opposing defenses. And I think he has the talent to capitalize. And he has a quarterback who can, who can find him too. You're not worried uh, about him getting kind of lost in the shuffle of a bad offense. Vikings find their way in a ton of shootouts. They continue to not, you know, um, really take their defense uh, that seriously. I know they have a new defensive coordinator this year, but I don't know. I, I like this spot. And if he settles in that same range that, you know, the Dotson and Garrett Wilson were going last year in the 12th, 13th round, I'm going to be a big buyer there. Um, you know, I, I think about it structurally too. That's generally a spot I'm taking running back flyers. But if you do do the, uh, the Pat Corain approved double anchor RB start, and you are needing to grab some wide receivers in that range. Um, I think Addison is going to be a nice pick. I love the idea of double stacks with Kirk cousins, either Jefferson and Hawkinson paired with Addison. So I think there's a lot of fun stuff here and he's going to be, uh, I think a priority target for me in early drafts. Do you think he kind of completely kills KJ Osborne or does he just make him like only leverage for best ball kind of player? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think this should push Osborne more back to what 17th, 18th round, you know, last yeah. start. Like we know Osborne can still pop off for 70 yards in a tight, but it just, there's lots of players who can do that at the end of the draft. Um, Osborne can be our generation's KJ Hamler, I guess. Yeah, Osborne closed at a 110.8 ADP. And uh, Pete, the Spags rankings, which of course, what, what does it stand Ooh. for, Pete? What? I, I, no, I'm, I'm literally asking you. I never remember. <laughs> Superior players in great spots, available on Football Outsiders. I had him at 130. I feel like 130 maybe goes to 150 now for KJ Osborne. I would still draft him in cousin stacks, especially if you get scooped on Addison, or I guess maybe Addison or uh, TJ Hawkinson. Because um, it's hard to forget that Osborne ceiling that he showed at the end of last year. But I agree. Like I think that that ceiling kind of now goes to Addison's way. 
Um, and then you still have the Thielen production to replace as well. So maybe they both can get there, but it does feel like it's hard to imagine Osborne, Jefferson, and Addison getting there in a major way with the kind of ceilings that they all are capable of. Well, and not to mention Hawkinson. I mean, Hawkinson yes. was a man possessed down the stretch too. So yeah, I think Addison is a hashtag better in best ball pick, right? Because he's never going to have a target share in that offense where you just feel great about starting him week in and week out, but he's going to pop off for some big weeks this year. And so that firmly puts him on the, uh, the best ball radar. All right, so we got, it looks like, yeah, just the last rookie here on the board, a man that I've stumped for the most, who ends up being the only tight end taken off the board. Let's talk about that fast. Are you surprised Michael Mayer didn't go? Because he is a guy that's been touted for literal years by NFL prospect boards. Like, it's not quite Brock Bowers here. Guy's going to probably go very highly when he gets comes out, presumably next year. Um, but I think that I was surprised that Dalton Kincaid went, and I love Kincaid, but I was surprised he went and Mayer didn't because Mayer to me made sense for a lot of these teams here, especially like the Bengals at the back half. Um, are you like, were you as shocked as I was? Cause I really thought Mayer was going to be going like he and Kincaid, I thought were the sure things to go in the first round. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, although it kind of tracked, right. There was the, this parallel sentiment of both like the dynasty and fantasy community. And apparently the NFL evaluators too, that just got bored with Michael Mayer. Like he was just like perfectly adequate across the board. And then when he didn't crush the combine, everyone's like, well, there's these more exciting guys there. Um, I, I prefer Michael Mayer over Kincaid. I'm like a little worried with, you know, Dalton Kincaid, as old as he is, we didn't get any reliable testing numbers from him. Everyone who watches the tape just says they have like a transcendent viewing experience. So kudos to all of you guys grinding Dalton Kincaid and tape and having a revelatory experience. I have not watched any of the tape. So I'm just kind of like, why, I guess, over a guy like Mayer um, or just even waiting right until the second round, grabbing a guy like Laporta, Kuntz, one of these other more athletic guys. So um, I'm with you. I think Mayer probably should have been the first pick off the board. Yeah, so I do like Kincaid, though. And I would say, Pete, if you want to do like one pseudo homework assignment, just look up uh, Dalton Kincaid USC highlights. It'll probably Here be like a five-minute video. Um, okay. He absolutely killed USC. Like, I had he over 200 yards against us. It was terrible. But he was like electric in that game in a way that he then played that second game against USC with like uh, his fractured back or whatever. That's been part of the reason he didn't do the workouts. And he played that game, and they were still double covering him, knowing he was injured, knowing he was still like not able to do that. And he still had an okay day, but basically then served up, uh, you know, as a decoy for all the other guys and they had a big day but Kincaid is so good so I don't love the landing spot like I like Buffalo as an offense obviously but Dawson Knox has been a safety blanket for Josh Allen now for years and even with other uh, other tight ends that they've liked and gotten into the mix a little bit more that occasionally siphon a touchdown away like the Quentin Morris's the Tommy Sweeney's and those guys like Kincaid I don't think has enough upside they just don't target the tight end enough and I think too Dawson Knox being there is just going to hurt him too so I like that he's in a high-powered offense, and I think that's probably good for him to be good for the next four or five years. But man, like it's tough to see him and Knox getting there. And I just don't like I just don't see it working out the way that's gonna be the best for fantasy. Yeah. Uh again, I know I keep saying this. I'll be curious to see where his ADP um settles. But I think the the Bills continue to be just like a very fun team for stacking, right? Because there's so many, it's like every other round in the draft, there's another bill that you could tack on uh to your Josh Allen stack. So um I I do want to bet on Kincaid, you know, being better than Knox. I assume the market will want to bet on that as well. But where do we slot? Kincaid, you know, like, I guess, you know, people were pushing up Chigakonkwo to levels that I was like vaguely uncomfortable with. I'm guessing Dalton Kincaid is even going ahead of Chig with this landing spot. I mean, don't you think he's what between like Chig and Pat Fryermuth? 
like an 11th or 12th round pick for most of BBM? Yeah, I think that feels about right to me. I mean, Dawson Knox had a 128 ADP, um, so he should kind of be in that range, I guess. And Chig was at 138. So maybe he settles in a little bit behind Chig because, well, Knox is going to, Knox has to come down too, right? Yeah. Yeah, Knox, so. Knox feels more like he falls into what the Mike Gesicki range, like fifteenth, sixteenth round tight end. See, I don't, I don't know that I sh- you should put Knox behind King. Like I, I think I get why people will. I don't think you should put Knox behind Kincaid just because. I mean, he, he is coming off a fractured back, like that could be part of why they feel comfortable. You know, maybe not using him a ton this year, um, and still having Knox out there. Um, I think both guys should go in like the 160 range feels about right to me just because they have the same opportunity, but like Knox, you're going to have zero, you're going to have zero Kincaid. If that's, uh, if that's where you think he should be valued, cause he's going to go much higher than that. God, I have so much of him in the big board. So like, I do want him to have a positive outcome, but I really don't think tight end was the move for them. I think they needed like a Quentin Johnston type, or maybe they'll get a receiver in the next few rounds. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people are just going to get excited, right? You combine a first-round rookie on uh, the, one of the best fantasy offenses in football paired with Josh Allen. Like, you're not getting a discount on this guy. Also, we do have some reports in the chat. Uh, Casey had posted a few minutes ago about Antonio Brown says he's going to Baltimore, but I guess Baltimore has not confirmed this yet. But um, he's saying that he's going to sign with the Steelers or with the Ravens, Pete, which um, I, doesn't he have, like, legal issues right now? Like, isn't there, like, a yeah. lot of <laughs> It doesn't he, seem he, likely. Yeah, he was literally just in the in the news for I believe it was the child support stuff. Yeah. But yes, he tweeted out a photo of him in a Ravens jersey. Um, I I think we like. I mean, it, we almost just need to be done with Antonio Brown and giving him attention. I think. Yeah, it seems like he's really taken a turn for the worst overall in ways that uh, sometimes our favorite public figures do these days. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't I don't seen. Know I haven't seen one legitimate reporter um, mention this. I haven't no, seen, so we'll see if, if it comes from yeah. like Ravens PR at some point, I think then we can start to worry about a little bit more for now. It feels like more maniacal ramblings. Like he probably FaceTimed with Lamar and is like, ah, this is it. I'm in. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he, that he's like, he, Lamar hangs up and then he goes, dude, do you mind if I say I'm going to sign with you? And it's just like the dial tone. He's like, all right, I've blasted it out. Lamar just like trusts and then just <laughs> <laughs> off and that's it. Uh, round two coming up today. Uh, I guess anything particularly exciting you're looking forward to? I think the run on tight ends will be an interesting one to see because I still think, you know, Darnell Washington going to a Cowboys or Lions would be pretty good. Uh, Michael Mayer still being out there, I think is pretty interesting. Um, Will Levis, we talked about. I, I, I'm glad that we didn't take Will Levis a lot because I really feel like his chances of starting day one are much lower. But what are you looking forward to here in uh, day two? And I guess for day three tomorrow too. Yeah, uh, the chat, someone mentioned it too, that Michael Mayer might get a better landing spot now as well. Like if we get him to the Bengals or the Cowboys or even the Lions, I think that'll be very fun. Obviously very interested to see where Will Levis and Hendon Hooker go. I imagine both of them will go in round two here. Um, The running backs I think are the most interesting, right? Because I think we're going to see Zach Charbonnet and then probably one of these other guys that we didn't really know how to properly rank, maybe go in the first 15 to 20 picks here of the second round. And I think that's going to be really interesting for fantasy. And then, you know, obviously these wide receivers too, is it, you know, um, Cedric Tillman, is it Mims? Is it Jalen Hyatt? You know, where do these guys go? Where do they, I guess, how about this to put it back on you? Because obviously some of these running backs can become very big fantasy targets, depending on where they go. Is there a landing spot for, let's say anyone who hasn't been drafted, that's a wide receiver right now that would, cause them to jump 
say Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison in ADP? Um, I got it. Okay, that's a good question. I, I think Josh Downs going somewhere good could maybe do that. Jalen Hyatt going to Buffalo. Like one of these guys going to Buffalo, I think would do it. So like Hyatt, Mims, Tillman going to Buffalo and being that outside receiver that it feels like they need, I think could do that. Um, Mims going somewhere exciting. I don't, where does Mims have to go? Um, like Chiefs. I mean, that's, that's the oh, easy yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Mims. I mean, anybody of the Chiefs would look pretty good, I think, um, for sure. But I think Mims is probably most live. If we were going to say, like, out of all the guys who could jump somebody, I think it's got to be Mims or Hyatt going to a high powered offense. And that could probably jump them ahead of Flowers and Addison. Yeah. I agree. I think it's, it's high powered offense and they have to go, you know, top half of round two. So the draft capital is enough there. My guess though, is it's still, I think Zay and Addison are going to end up being better picks, even though people will naturally get excited about whoever got paired uh, with the top quarterback. I mean, look, if Mims goes to Kansas city, I, I would make an argument that he should be the top rookie taken off the board. Oh, come on. That's too much. You can't take him over. Mims Mims playing in that offense and being one of the only guys who could play outside and he's small, but like we know that Kansas city knows how to make small outside receivers work. I would be really excited about that. I don't know. I wouldn't take him like that. Like the ADP is one lineup, so I wouldn't have to do it, but I would really start to plant my flags for Mims even more. Like I think Mims steam got to be a little heavy uh, for me towards the end of the super flex drafts, but um, he's talented. Like he's, he's getting hyped for a reason where some of these guys, you know, kind of get hyped just because people are talking I, about it. Would, again, it'd be the same movie taking, you know, Mims over JSN Mims on the chiefs over JSN would be like what we did last year, taking uh sky Moore on the chiefs over Garrett Wilson. <laughs> like it would be the same fucking thing all over again. I exactly target hog just the words out of my mouth. Personally, but yeah, we're. I I think he's better than Sky Moore. We'll find out though. Uh, Pete, give the plugs here because you got, of course, your newsletter came out today, the PO box. I was reading it before here to talk about some of the best ball arguments, but uh, you got a lot of content going on. So give the people the plugs. Uh, yeah, just two uh, two simple ones. Uh, Saturday night, I've been doing like the best ball after dark streams for YouTube members, but uh, then uh, Underdog has made it known that the contest is going to open up sometime Saturday evening. I assume we'll be safe with a 9 p.m. start. Um, so I'm flexing best ball after dark to just uh, a BBM opening night kickoff stream. So I'll rip a few drafts with Karain. I'm going to be making uh, an announcement today about my Best Ball Mania streaming plans. I guess I can spoil it here. And it is my goal, Spags, is to uh, to stream every single one of my Best Ball Mania 4 drafts. And if I'm behind or whatever, then I just can't max it. But basically, I will not do any slow drafts, any private Best Ball Mania 4 drafts. If I do a Best Ball Mania 4 draft, it will be documented somewhere, perhaps here on Splash Play, on my channel, on Fantasy Life, on a guest stream. But it must be documented. That's what I'm committing to this year. And then my only other plug, I did release my video, The Anatomy of a Million Dollar Lineup on the Deposit Kingdom YouTube page. Spent a lot of time working on that. Have gotten some good feedback. And it's reviewing uh, Pat's lineup, of course, and then the team that won the regular season, Millie, last year. And I think with all of the conversation now about the news price structure with BBM4, you'll find it very interesting thinking about, hey, how do I optimize for regular season? How do I optimize for the playoffs. So I would appreciate you guys all checking that out. It's a good video. I, I like the video footage too of King Capital and Pat talking about their lineups. Definitely a unique take there to get access to those guys. So check out Pete's video. Um, I think I'm going to be on Stochastic tonight doing their round two NFL stuff at 8 p.m. Nice. with Neil Orfield and Isaiah, though. I haven't gotten confirmation on the production link. So if I'm not there, then don't watch it. If I am there, then watch it. Um, and of course, check out Football Outsiders. It's been a, been a 
rough couple weeks here, uh, getting some great, some great media hits recently in Defector. Uh, loving that, but no, just support us there because it is still a staff. We're trying to make things work, trying to do the best we can to keep things afloat. Uh, so please go check that out, and I will have a column about the draft stuff coming out uh, probably early next week as well. Uh, but that's a lot of fun. And actually, one announcement for me too. I've decided, Pete, because your idea was so good, I kind of thought, what's an angle for me? We are going to have the Spag solo streams coming back uh, in a few weeks here on the channel. And what I'm going to do, Pete, is I'm going to go into each draft attempting to stack a specific team is what I'm going to do. I so like that, that way I'll get all of my stacks. People can headhunt me if they want. But I feel like this way, at least there's some kind of utility to each video to exist. So hang on. I, first of all, I love this. I've thought about this kind of stuff too. Like how, so give me an example. So if you say I'm going to do a Seahawks stack, I'm going to do, and if you just get brutally sniped on like Lockett and Metcalf and JSN, you're still doing like Noah Fant and whatever fourth wide receiver I'm forgetting right now is basically what you're going to do. Yeah. So basically just you know, forcing it in a way that's not going to be great because people will know my intentions going in, but I'm hoping there's a way to do it. And if nothing else, then it'll be, you know, 32 drafts that I eat less than uh less than pl positive EV teams, I guess, out of it. But I think it's just a way because like people want to see how the stacks work. And I think enough people are interested in stacks and like in just how to do them. So I don't know. It's worth a shot. I I like it. Uh, and we kind of did a few of these last year. I guess I would call them like soft randomizer stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Where we'd be like, you have to draft a zero RB team. And the thing I like about it is, yes, if you can do it without sacrificing too much ADP value, I think it does in the same way correlating week 17 leads to natural diversification. I think some of these like little challenges or prompts actually lead you to different pockets of the draft and different textures to teams than when you just robotically draft over and over, which I've definitely been guilty of. So both from a content play and from just diversifying your exposures, I actually uh, really like that idea. Yeah, I appreciate that because I'm, you know, we're, we're trying to think of unique ways to make this fun. Obviously, we love doing the drafts on the channel. So a lot more of that to come. Follow Pete at Peter Overset. Follow me at Chris Spags. Follow this show at Splash Play Pod. And of course, subscribe. Hit the like button before you go. Any final words here, Pete, as I stumble over to the, the exit outro? Uh, no, appreciate you guys hanging out. And uh, if you do really want just like shit show entertainment, I, I do think I would never say a live draft stream was evergreen, but I do believe last night's ship chasing stream of which Chris Baggs uh, appeared on, but was commandeered by drunken Ben Gretsch. Uh, I do legitimately just recommend watching it. Multiple people have already told me they rewatched the entire thing already this morning. And uh, I'm going to get some highlight clips made here as well. Yeah, I actually need to rewatch it too because I saw some of the stuff on social media and I, I passed out at like 11 o'clock because I was, A, drank too much. So I was just done. And I woke up at 2.30 and was like, oh, what? I wonder what those last few picks were. But then I saw the Gretsch stuff. I was like, I got to watch that now and I'm going to probably do an hour streaming uh, of watching that after the fact. But uh, is Gretsch doing okay today would be the big question a lot of people had. <laughs> yeah, he was kicking around in the Ship Chasing Discord his first post this morning um, and I will I will read it verbatim. Okay, today at 10.48 a.m., he said, guys, followed by, I woke up on my office floor at 3 a.m. with the lights on. So he uh, he has emerged, uh, and uh, shout out Benjamin Gretsch for a tour de force performance last night. Yeah, if you want to see a man drunkenly holding drinks up, putting on football helmets, really whatever the audience requested or the, the, <laughs> the staff requested at any point, go check that out. And we'll be back with you guys again very soon. Enjoy your weekends. Enjoy the rest of the NFL draft, and good luck in whatever you're doing. See you guys soon. Bye. <laughs> Thank you